Happy Friday, everyone. My name is Aaron Ninnis. I am the host of today's episode of A Slice of Your Own, a millennial homebuyer's conversation. Uh, brand new podcast. This is actually the uh, inaugural episode with just a focus on what's happening in real estate for those millennials looking to buy a home. Uh, pretty frank conversation about what has changed since COVID started um, and going into the new year, especially as we start to see things open up. Where is this going to go in the long run? So with that, we'll just jump on in. Um, the very first thing, it's brand new to the year, and a lot of people are going to be looking at trying to buy houses here in 2021. So I figure probably one of the best things to start with is just home affordability. Where is home affordability at? Uh, what do we foresee happening in the market, and how is that going to be changing over time? Uh, let, let's go back, though, in time to January of last year. So in January of last year, the market was pretty depressed. Um, now, quick caveat on this. I am in Denver, Colorado. We are uh, a booming real estate market. We are incredibly short on inventory. Um, builders cannot keep up with demand. Builders are also building products that a lot of millennials are not interested in. Um, certainly, we'll talk about that as we go through this. Um, but you know, it's been this way for a couple of years. Okay. So when we talk about the, the home buying market being depressed, it's always depressed in January and February in Colorado. Once we get out of the holidays, there's usually a, uh, a big boom of applications. People who are looking to start getting pre-approved or pre-qualified or find out what they can buy, purchasing power, et cetera, at the beginning of the year. But it really doesn't start to take hold until what we'll call the spring buying market. Now, over the last few years, we have seen that spring buying market move up. It used to be years ago, like right after the big crash of 08, 09, that somewhere around April, March, um, people would really start getting out there, getting fired up. And, and there's a number of reasons why. I mean, it could be as simple as the daylight isn't as good in those uh, dark months, you know, once we're kind of near that winter solstice. Uh, it could be something as simple as uh, the fact of snow. You know, um, I remember going back into 2006, uh, we had a period of time where every two weeks we had two feet of snow and it just kept adding up and adding up. You know, a lot of people don't want to go out there and uh, look at homes or home shop uh, when they're fighting blizzards and things like that. So there's a bunch going on that can affect uh, or impact the mentality. So anyways, 20, 2020 had a bit of a slowdown January and February, and then all of a sudden these murmurs started coming up end of February about, uh, you know, this new virus out of Wuhan. And analysts were picking up on it, um, you know, from the mortgage perspective, and that's what I do here is mortgages. From the mortgage perspective, uh, we were finding out about it from an analyst side, Uh Definitely around, I, I you know, I want to say it was somewhere around the 22nd of February is when we started to get these concerns about how infectious the disease was, things like that. Obviously, going into March, uh, we start to look at lockdowns, etc. And real estate actually stopped. Um, there was a small, very small window of time where real estate actually couldn't even be shown. Um, it was not considered an essential service, and therefore. Uh, it was just put on hold. Then it opened up with very strict guidelines about how people could go in and look at them. And 
And even then, when when just because you can go and shop for homes and you can put your house on the market, doesn't mean necessarily that you are in a position to where you're going to have the fruits uh, of, of a good market. It, do, it doesn't just turn on like that because you still had uh, a, a big issue of people being concerned about going out, buying a home, uh, you know, with the, with the virus and things like that. Okay, so now let's compound that because there is a sect of people that probably were interested in selling homes, but they cannot because they are currently in a position where maybe their age, maybe their underlying health concerns prevented them from from carefully or safely putting their house on the market. So we've really limited down our inventory aggressively. And from there, bidding wars start, right? The people who are out there wanting to buy a house are going to start getting aggressive on pricing. Why is that? Well, I mean, let's be honest. If if you were someone, you know, and there's God only knows who... who has motivations there, right? But I can tell you from some of my clients that have been looking for homes, you'll hear things like, I had a studio in downtown Denver and it was the most amazing place for going out and eating and hanging out with friends. But when the pandemic hit, nothing was open. I was on lockdown. I I, I don't even have a balcony so I could open a window if I wanted fresh air, but really couldn't even go into the common areas of my building. And I think I mean, that would drive me nuts. I, I am an outdoor enthusiast. I love mountain biking. I love fly fishing, camping, backpack, you name it. And not being able to get outside, I, I would lose my mind. But that was even a conversation that that my wife and I had because we have two small children was just, you know, our yard wasn't very big and gosh, maybe it'd be nice to move. And so there's these motivations. Um, I know lots of people who said our house was fine minus the fact that we really never had a guest room or an area for an office, and now we're both working from home. And so this great pressure grew for people to get out there and get a slice of their own, right? They wanted their own house, their own base camp that they could work and you know, take care of business and things like that safely or raise children, especially when virtual learning started. I mean, gosh, all these, all these factors pulling people in certain directions. So at the same time, you're not spending any money. There's no trips you're saving for. You're not saving to go to Ireland or Vegas or buy a, well, actually a lot of people are buying new cars. That's kind of a weird phenomenon that is happening. No one's driving anywhere, but people want new cars. But there really hasn't been a, uh, we'll call it leisure or restaurant style of business available to put your money into. And that's actually a big part of our spending as an American population. So folks have been saving money or they're able to reallocate that money towards housing payments, housing uh, expenses, and now they're reallocating it towards homes. So they say, uh, my budget is 2,200 a month. And they go out there and they start looking at homes and all of a sudden, boom, they find that dream home. But because of how limited the inventory is, 15 other people have found that home. And that's, that's actually something that has happened a tremendously large amount. These houses, if they're priced right because of the shortage of inventory, it is not uncommon that you have, you know, 50, 60, 70 showings in the first weekend and 10, 15, 20 offers 
that are that are going to include all kinds of wacky terminology for the contract. It could be something as simple as people offering overprice. Uh, it could be escalation clauses, where if a house is offered at four hundred, I say I'll go up to four fifteen, beating out any offer by a thousand dollars. That's something you could see. Appraisal gap clauses. That if the appraisal doesn't come in, I'll guarantee the seller three, four, five, ten thousand dollars extra. There's all these different aspects that are going to go into it, and that pushes up affordability. What a house is worth is based on the comparable homes that have sold in the area uh, from a historical perspective. So if I'm looking at a neighborhood that a property hits on the market and five houses down, a similar home in size and quality and you know it's in the same subdivision type of thing, uh, just was put on the market, had a bidding war, and someone just blew out everyone's offer, put put down the big cash, paid cash, whatever the case is, that's your new comp. An appraiser is going to look at that and say, okay, that shows me a willing buyer, willing seller, and they had a fair market value on that home. Thus, that must be the new value of homes in this specific subdivision. And that's where you start to get the pinch on home affordability. But there's a bit of a misnomer on affordability, right? So we talk in these things like housing values have gone up 5%, 10% over the last year, year over year. And folks say like, oh my God, that's so crazy. Houses are so unaffordable. And the reality is that that would be true if we were spending 100% of our income on our housing payments, but we don't. We we spend 30%, 35% of our income. For most people, that is, 35% is a really good benchmark of what you will spend on a house, at least in the Denver area. Now, I know there's plenty of places where home affordability is much lower. Um, it's better, we'll say in that case, where you can, you can afford more home. And, and what I mean by that is, if you make 60,000 in Denver, or you make 60,000 in Kearney, Nebraska, my guess is the quality of home and life you can live on that same $60,000 is going to stretch much further in Kearney, Nebraska than what it's going to be in Denver metro area. Um, in fact, our, our median household incomes here are 80000 and you can look at other parts of the state where they drop down to 60000 etc. Um, you know, you pay wages typically that are fair. So if market goes up 10% in value year over year and you get a raise of 5%, people say, ah, it's running away twice, twice as fast away from me as what I'm earning additional. But that's not true because at 35%, 10%, it, it is only about a 3% increase because you're leveraging. You're, you're amortizing that loan over 30 years. And so, so it's not dollar for dollar, you know, just, just quick math, right? So, and we'll keep math simple. If you made a hundred thousand dollars and a home went up uh, or, and you got a 5% raise, you're now making 105,000. You have $5,000 more income a year. And if a home was 440 or 400,000 and it went up 10%, now it's 440. Okay, so every $10,000 you finance additional is roughly $45 to 50 bucks a month in payment. 
So at 45 to 50 bucks a month in payment, you're now in a position where that house cost $200, we'll call it somewhere in the 150 to $200 more a month from 400 to 440 in that one year time frame. You're at 5,000, so you're making $400 more a month. So even though it doubled what your wages were, it's still within what your additional income is. Everything has grown together. Um, and still leaves just enough to start saying, okay, well, after taxes and everything, I would have enough to cover that difference on the 10% difference on the home and probably a little bit more taxes, insurance, um, electric, gas, water, things that go with possibly a more expensive home. So affordability is one of those things that is definitely, uh, it's like eye of the beholder, right? You have to look at it critically and say, where are my, where's my money going? And again, it's super convoluted. If you got a pay raise, plus you're no longer spending two, $300 on going out to eat or doing these excursions with your family, you actually have way more money available for home expenditures. And that's where people are going out there and getting aggressive on buying homes. It's not doom and gloom on where the housing market's going. This is a natural progression because inventory is just in the pits. I uh, had a really interesting email come across my desk uh, yesterday, in fact. And what it was was property in ski towns. And I know I know ski towns in Colorado aren't necessarily the best indication of what you have coming your way, right? Or like what inventory is out there. But it is something that you can look at and say, okay, as an example, where's our housing going? And the reason I bring this up is because as we get into the later years here or or the later months of this year, I think we're going to see a big change in people's mentality about how or where they're looking to live. So I'll give you an example here. Let's say that uh, your company has not come out and said what their plan is for you to continue working from home. Okay. There was definitely a world in the mortgage world's like that. We know for a fact that there are certain roles in our company that will never come back to the office and they don't need to. We've proven that, uh, I mean, the mortgage industry erupted in 2020 with low rates. It wasn't just the purchase market, uh, which has been on fire, but refinancing people who are saving just gobs of money a, a month on this very low rate market. We know that my processors, for example, the people who take your loan and submit it and do a bunch of back clerical items that you would never even know goes into getting a mortgage from fraud searches and title searches and all this behind the scenes stuff, they are more effective working from home. And I don't think they're ever going to come back. Just reality. So where do we go with that job role? Well, nowhere. I mean, honestly, you are now free to roam around the country, right? We used to think you have to live close to a hub and be close to be a processor or work for the company or whatever. And you hear about these companies like, I, I, I don't know if this is a real exact number or not, but I've heard, for example, Google headquarters. We have one up north. Um, 
in kind of the Boulder Superior area said, hey, we don't care where you live as long as you're like 100 miles from headquarters, something like that. So we're starting to find these Google employees who once were concentrated in the North Denver metro area starting to move out. And I, I've had clients who have bought 100-acre farms. And the reason they're doing that is because you can live anywhere. I, I think as companies come out and start to put out a big change uh, on protocol and what their plan is long-term for policy, we're going to see folks start to move out. And that is going to increase inventory. And as, as we start to see the vaccines roll out, we're going to see inventory increase. And all this goes into one column, affordability. Go back to your economic days of a uh, class like high school, micro, macroeconomics, right? Supply and demand. If there is a large enough supply against demand, prices will fall, right? So, you know, it's, 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 it's the whole idea of uh, watermelons, right? People have, have had this uh, kind of anecdote before, you know, if, if you have a truck of watermelons and you're having trouble selling all the watermelons that the truck can hold, buying a bigger truck doesn't help. Now, that's more of a supply issue versus demand. What we have is I, I, I don't have any supply. I actually go to the market to sell my watermelon by carrying it, and I can only carry one watermelon, and when I get to the market, there's 50 people lined up to buy a watermelon. That's really what our, our world looks like right now for real estate. That will change as more supply comes out. But I don't know how fast that's going to happen. I mean, if, if we could wave a magic wand and vaccinate everyone and COVID's behind us in the rearview mirrors, I think you see a ton of people say, I'm ready to jump into the market. I'm ready to move on to where I ultimately think I should be, where I should live. Uh, going back to the ski town, because I, 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 I started yabbering, but there, there's parts like Dillon and Frisco, um, which are where you could see a lot like Breckenridge, ski resorts, things like that. They're down 90%. Uh, year over year on inventory. Denver's uh, inventory finished in December 49.6% down. And when we say Denver, I'm talking about a metropolitan area. So for those who are out there, you probably live in an area where it's more of a metropolitan area, inclusive of multiple counties, parishes, uh, whatever the case is. And that's what we're talking about. The Denver metro area is 3.7 million people, roughly, and we have less than 3,000 homes, condos, and townhomes for sale. Okay, that, that's an issue. That, that's just never going to work when you have that many people wanting to buy homes and not enough time. So let's, let's talk about kind of why inventory isn't going to move fast and why affordability still is. I mean, again, affordability is going to be there. Keep in mind, too, when the economy opens, we're going to see wage growth immensely. Now, keep in mind, what when I'm saying this, this is the 15th of January, and on the 14th yesterday, Biden's uh, incoming administration talked about what their stimulus plan was, $1.9 billion, which is inclusive of $15 minimum wage. Um, we're going to see a very robust economic response to when the economy starts to open. That's really what's expected. And as that goes, the wealth will, well, I hate to use the term trickle down, but it will. It will be expanded to additional wages. The reason is, is because, uh, not because they want to give you the money, 
They want to do it because you are ultimately going to be in a position where you're going to be uh, more valuable and possibly open to recruiting to another company. Uh, skilled business people is very limited in what we have available. So with that being said, a uh, couple articles that are interesting here. One of them was about millennials and boomers plan to move sooner. So there was a report done in April uh, that was done, and this is from the uh, like the Builders of America Association type of uh, advocacy group. But anyways, um, in April, 3,001 consumers, 25 to 74 years old, with household incomes 50,000 plus, millennial renters wanting to own and boomer homeowners motivated to buy a different home are the two groups to watch. The flip side, the 45 to 54-year-old Gen Xers, the traditional move-up buyer, is now least likely motivated to buy. So 45 to 55, the move-up buyer. A move-up buyer is important to watch because that's someone who has to sell a home to buy a home. And by selling a home, that goes on the market, that is inventory. We need those folks to go. Um, in 2020, fun-filled fact, 53% of all home purchases were done by millennials. The millennials are actually the people buying. For, for whatever reason, millennials get a super bad rap, you know, buying avocado toast, living in parents' basements. Okay, that might be true, but really they are actually the best. And I, it's weird because I am like the cusp millennial. I was born in 1984. And for me, it's super hard to call myself a millennial because I bought my first house when I was 23, but I was raised in the real estate world. I had a real estate license before I had a high school diploma. So this is all I've ever known. So buying a house was a natural progression of what I knew I wanted to do with my life. Millennials themselves are, are waiting till around that 33, 34, 35 time frame. A lot of them are what I'll call dinks, dual income, no kids, buying a house, um, where they have very little debt. Millennials have learned a huge lesson about not overextending themselves, but they're also not the best savers. I will say that a lot of folks have not saved up huge down payments. They're in the three or 5% down. And I don't want to knock that. It takes a lot of work to be uh, studious enough to, to save three or four or 5% down and your closing costs and things like that. But really the kicker on it is they have no debt. So they qualify for way more than what they want to budget for, which is sweet. Um, but that also lends itself to affordability issues. When you tell me your budget's $2,000 and I say, well, you're qualified for 2,800 and then you go out there and you start writing contracts and you're getting beat time and time again by the competition of other qualified borrowers, you're going to say, yeah, you know, 2,000 doesn't matter. I'll go 21. I'll go 22. And you'll find that point where you're getting the house, you're being competitive, and you can still buy a home. So here's a big deal, though, that came out of that same report uh, from homeowners planning across all age groups. 4% of homeowner respondents say COVID has accelerated their plans to move. And on the surface, we'd say 4%. That's not, that's not really very helpful. Except that if we have 3.7 million people in the Denver metro area, that equates to about 60,000 houses that would be coming to sale, okay? 
it's a huge number of homes that are going to be sold here or coming to market. I mean, if we're at 3,000 and we're at 60,000 in the next year that plan to move, that is some serious inventory. And I have no doubt that we're going to see more buyers come to the market as more inventory comes. Because the more inventory that comes, the slower the affordability crisis is going to be. I get that there's plenty of folks out there who are going to be wanting to buy houses, but you know, there's only so many asses for so many seats. And, uh, you know, so actually I'll, I'll use this to, to go into uh, a, a different kind of topic on there. A recent consumer study finds 46% of respondents would now prefer to own versus rent. This is one of the highest changes in the history, going back to the 50s and 60s of American home ownership. People want to own their own slice. They want that own piece of pie that that is theirs, that they can pay whatever they want. They can do whatever they want, no landlords, et cetera. But there's still only so many humans that fit into that, right? And so we're going to be drawing out these renters. Uh, I just saw a report yesterday. Rental rates are expected to drop for the first time in years. Um. And keep in mind, too, that rentals are in a precarious position because part of Biden's plan he announced yesterday, if it goes through, is uh, putting forbearances for mortgages, people who can't make their payment due to COVID-related issues, or evictions for people who are uh, renting properties and cannot afford. You cannot evict them through September of 2021. I mean, the ramifications on that are huge. Um, and, and people really, rent, rental rates are going to struggle if this many people are going to go out there to buy. So we're going to find ourselves in a position where prices are going to slow down. The economy is going to be robustly moving forward. It's going to be growing. Uh, wages are going to be growing. And, and consumer confidence is going to be growing. And people are going to want to buy homes. We're also going to see this mass move out of metropolitan areas. The love of the outdoors has grown so immensely. Um, and, and I think this is around everywhere. Now, God bless Colorado. We we have so much open land, so many trails. But even then, in Jefferson County, where I live, I mean, there are days where the trails were shut down during COVID time because they were too busy. They had a limit on how many people could be in an open space park. And folks are now moving out further and further. Like I said, I'm a huge fly fisherman. I would go to a place called Decker's, which is considered one of the best places in the nation to fly fish, so much free public water. And I would drive down there and I, I couldn't even park because I could see so many humans standing in the river fishing. So I think we're going to see folks moving further and further out from these metropolitan areas, trying to get out there and find areas that are gems, that are amazing areas. And at the same time, we also have this huge push from the Dish Networks, from the Comcast, from the CenturyLinks, the, the, the different... Uh, DSLs and cable providers to get infrastructure into these areas so that they are easier for folks to work from home. All this is going to mesh together for a real change in how the American consumer is looking at home ownership. And I think these conversations that everyone is having, and you might be having it uh, on your own right now at your very own home with your, your spouse, your significant other, and you're asking the same things. 
not only do we want to buy, I think a lot of people are saying, yes, I absolutely want to buy. But then it's like the nitty gritty of, do we even want to buy here? What's that look like? What's our company look like? And we may not even see some of these policies from a company come out for months yet as the vaccines roll out. And it's going to change the landscape of how people are buying houses. So where is my point on all this on affordability? Here's my point. Do not buy in to the affordability crisis. Do not buy in to the, 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 the whole idea of, if I don't buy now, I'm never going to be able to because prices are outrunning me. I do think there are certain sects of uh, the public sector of jobs that will really struggle in this field. Um, certainly, if you're working retail and things like that, I could see this being a, a real struggle where you're not going to see a big boom on your wages. It's been so brutal. Unfortunately, you may not you may not be the one who sees big economic impact of the uh, economy coming back as quick. Uh, I could tell you for plumbers, electrical, construction, they are busier than could be. That than uh, one armed paper hanger, right? Um, that's going to continue to boom. We're going to see a lot of the engineering and uh, fields of that nature. We're going to see a lot uh, of boom on that. We're going to see a lot of boom in the manufacturing sectors uh, where not only the new incoming administration is going to put a lot of effort into that, but the technology is going to step up significantly. COVID will permanently have changed how businesses look at productivity moving forward. And it's going to create this boom in the economy where I think wage growth is going to start to catch up and pass the affordability issues or the growth, the year-over-year -year growth in real estate. I think those are still going to grow, 2 3 4 5%. I just don't think it's going to be this permanent runaway train. But don't get lured into the idea that you've missed the boat. Don't buy into the idea that if you don't buy in the next few months, well, you know, raise the white flag, I surrender. It's never going to happen. That just isn't true. We are going to see one of the biggest pivot points ever in home ownership. And it's not just uh, in metropolitan areas. I think you'll see it anywhere. I also think this is one of the biggest growth opportunities we're going to see for minority home ownership, which unfortunately has lagged for century, well, I, I can't say centuries because it hasn't been around that, but, but decades. For decades, it has been long behind uh, for both Hispanic and African-American communities. Um, we, we have already seen a big push for homeownership in black communities, and that's going to be continued, uh, which is amazing, right? That's, that's how we rebuild the nation without the disparity that we see between different income classes, uh, different races, uh, things of that nature. So, that's my story. Affordability could be an issue. Um, I will be back with a new episode here in the next uh, couple weeks um, as I gather things and we start to see the inauguration hit. We start to see some of the policies come out and, and hopefully by the next one, we, we have a better view of Biden's homeownership policies that he's going to be putting in place because there are some uh, expected to be some first-time homebuyer credits that are similar to what Obama did when he was in presidency for some big tax credits, but how they're going to be handled, how they're applicable to get you into a home now is going to be a huge, huge boost and something that everyone wants to uh, keep their eye on. So 
With that, I hope you enjoyed your time. I appreciate you listening in, and we'll catch you on another episode of A Slice of Your Own. I'm Aaron Ninnis. Thank you for your time.